So uh, I think they used to say, um, I'm going to tell you a story. Are you sitting comfortably? Because it's a good one. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen and 500 donkeys and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays and they'd invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. So early in the morning, he'd sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And it was Job's regular custom. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going to and fro on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now, stretch your hand out and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the eldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I'm the only one who's escaped to, to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burnt up the sheep and the servants. And I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the eldest brother's house. 
when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead. And I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up, tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you coming? come from? And Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going to and fro on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then. He's in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. And his wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. And he replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And in all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Amen. Thank you very much, Monica. Quite a story, isn't it? I expect some... That's, that's better, thank you. I expect you know the story. That bit, anyway. I don't know how many of you have waded through all the arguments. They're a bit tedious, aren't they, really? <laughs> okay, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word and your truth. Thank you for the life and power in your word. Thank you for your presence with us, Lord. Thank you. Please, Lord, will you just meet with us as we feed on your word this morning by faith in our hearts with thanksgiving. We just bless you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 
My topic this morning is cultivating endurance. Uh, that was my, uh, thy, my brief from Job, cultivating endurance. If you've been coming for the last few weeks, you might have felt that the topics were a bit heavy. They're quite tough, aren't they? Quite hard work. Uh, you know, in our instant microwave society when we want everything yesterday, um, cultivating endurance... Delayed gratification isn't very popular in this day and age, is it? But actually, I think we'll find as we look through Job and look at the topic of endurance that it produces um, good fruit. Peace and righteousness is what the scripture says. So um, I just thought I'd give you a, a couple of examples in my own life. When I was um, in my early teens, long before I was a Christian, I was in the hockey team at school, and I wasn't very fit. I liked playing hockey, but you know, it got a bit puffy running up and down the hockey field. And uh, so, I, before we had a, a, a had hockey, they always used to make us run round the, the the pitch four times or something, which I hated, absolutely hated. Um, but I decided that I would get up before breakfast and go and run around the hockey pitch every morning. And uh, nobody else was anywhere near the hockey pitch at that time of the day. And um, I did this on and off. Well, no, I did it pretty regularly throughout the term. And the interesting thing is that at some point, presumably late in that term, um, and this was this is the only time in my life that we did this. Um, my brother was playing rugby somewhere fairly near where we lived, and and my parents and I went to watch him playing rugby. And it was there were just acres of rugby pitches, and the and the game was somewhere over in the distance. Uh, and I remember running across these rugby pitches, and the joy that I could run and not be puffed. If you've seen uh, Chariots of Fire, you know Eric Liddell says, said, you know, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Well, I can't claim that I felt God's pleasure because I didn't know him personally at that stage. But I certainly felt the benefits of all those mornings when I reluctantly got out of bed and went and ran around the hockey pitch. So. That's a simple example of endurance. It was definitely endurance for me. But it paid dividends, and I expect my hockey improved as well. I don't know about that. Um, another experience, when I was an adult and I was a Christian, I hadn't been a Christian long, and uh, I went off to university to study law, which was a, a bad mistake, but then, you know, we do make mistakes, don't we? And... Um, I arrived home uh, sometime in, later on in the year to say, oh, I don't like this, I want to change my course, you know, I want to do something else. Oh, no, dear, you carry on. Just, just stick with it, it'll be all right, you know. So I stuck with it. And I must have, 
you know, there must have been many times like, oh dear, I really don't like this. I then uh, wound up in articles. Uh, well, I did finals and I went wound up in articles uh, learning to be a solicitor. And, you know, I, I really don't want to do this. Oh, just carry on. Pass your exams. Do your articles. It'll be all right. So I, I persevered and persevered. At the end of my time as a solicitor, I, I, as a, an article clerk, I, I am not going to be a solicitor. I'm not doing this. Um, but the only thing I could find to do was teach law. So I went into a polytechnic and started to teach law. I didn't much like that either. Um, and I used to go to God every so often. Oh, please let me out of this. I really don't like doing this. You know, this is wrong or that's wrong or the others are wrong. And uh, also, there was a time when I was doing a lot of praying and praying for the salvation of the people at the college. And I was very um, on fire in my Christian life. And I found, to my horror, that I started getting under uh, um, criticism and attack from my colleagues in the Polytechnic. And it was a very difficult time for me. But God helped me through it. And I persevered and persevered. And actually, I trained for five and a half years. And I was a, a, a law lecturer for five and a half years. And at the end of that time, I was sitting in my car praying one day, saying, dear God, I am, I am bored. And I'm afraid that if I'm bored, I must be boring. And the last thing I want to be is a boring teacher. Help! And I wasn't asking to leave. I was just saying, God, I want to be the best I can be for you. And you know, it was like an audible voice. It wasn't an audible voice, but it was so clear it could have been. And from the back of the car, it seemed like God said, hand in your notice and leave. Eh? Is that really you? Can I really do that? Well, you know, I, I prayed and I sought God about it and I took advice from godly people and, and yes, it was God. And I left. And I've never regretted leaving. Um, there's a lot more to that story. But anyway, praise the Lord. I, what I would like to say about that was I endured for 11 years at this thing, which really, you know, wasn't, my, wasn't the right thing for me at all, looking back. But, you know, when I left, I left in victory not in defeat. And that is important. It is important. So endurance is powerful. And, and, and it does things in our lives that other things can't do. I was leaning on God. I was trusting God to help me. And he did. And I wasn't being stabbed in the back by my colleagues by that stage either, praise God. So hallelujah. And one or two people did get saved. Only one or two. But the next job he took me on to, people were a lot more interested. So there you go. Hallelujah. So we all have issues of endurance in our lives. It's different for all of us. Is it illness for you? Pain? Do you have broken or dysfunctional relationships in your family? Do you have a demanding job that you don't like or you find unfulfilling? Um, are you living with unanswered prayer and disappointment or unfulfilled dreams? We all face endurance. And you know, I was thinking uh, about biblical characters who faced endurance. Just about everyone did. <laughs> you know, I've got a great, great long list of biblical characters. Start at the beginning. Enoch, yes. Noah, yes. Abraham, yes. Isaac, yes. Jacob, yes. Joseph, yes. Moses, yes. David, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. All of them. They all had to endure through difficult times. So what's our 
dictionary definition, endurance. The ability to continue doing something painful or difficult for a long period of time without complaining. <laughs> the ability to withstand hardship, adversity or distress. And I think this is, this is the, the Hilary Ashley version. Pressing or pushing through opposition, whether demonic or carnal. Okay, that's what, what Job had to do. He had to press through demonic opposition. The trouble was that he and his friends thought that God had done it. And you know, that's a big mistake. We do tend to blame God for things when it isn't God at all. We have an enemy. Let's blame the right person. It helps a lot. Okay, and then I found there were two other words that were very similar to endurance, which the Bible also uses. Perseverance. The quality of continuing to try to achieve a particular aim despite difficulties. Pressing through difficulties again. That, didn't, that definition didn't say for a long period of time. And then persistence. I think, I think a long period of time does apply to perseverance and persistence too. Continuing to try to do something despite difficulties or opposition, especially if people are against you. So the Bible tends to use those three terms interchangeably. Endurance, perseverance, persistence. Well, our best example, of course, is Jesus. I'm sure you know this verse, Hebrews 12, 2 and 3. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you'll not grow weary and lose heart. Have you noticed it's usually Jesus that's the best example of everything, isn't he? And he certainly knew how to endure. I, I, we haven't been asked, I haven't been asked to, to be nailed to a cross. He did it for us. He took all our punishment and sin on his body on the tree. Hallelujah. Then, of course, Paul. There's this incredible catalogue in Corinthians. He was talking about false prophets, false apostles, deceitful workers masquerading as apostles of Christ. And he says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea, etc., etc. He went through a lot, didn't he? And what does he say? In Philippians 3, favorite verses of mine, 12 to 14, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. And in Philippians 3.20, it says, For our citizenship is in heaven. So stand fast in the Lord, beloved. So for the Christian, the motivation for endurance ultimately is Jesus, heaven, eternal life, and eternal relationship with God. And there's lots of scriptures in the Gospels particularly that tell us to press through, to hang on. 
Yeah, Matthew and Mark both have this scripture. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And in Hebrews 12 verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Again, the goal is Jesus himself and heaven. I love that, don't you? Surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. You might be thinking perhaps of a, of a balcony in heaven and all the ones that went on before peering over, all the Bible heroes peering over, cheering you on. It's like a marathon. Come on, come on, keep running. Keep running, keep going. Do you think of it like that? Do you ever see a picture like that? It's quite common, that view of it. But actually there's another meaning as well. All these heroes of the faith, and not just biblical ones, there's many others throughout the ages that have persevered through difficulty for a long period of time. But they've made it to heaven. And that's it. We have all these people who've gone on before us. They've done it. They've carried on in there. And they've made it. And the, the, the encouragement is, come on, you can do it too. Because you have the same person to help you that they did. God helps you. It's by grace we're saved. It's by grace we are kept. It's by grace we are presented before the throne of grace with exceeding joy. God helps us in our need. So Job, he's mentioned in James. James talks about him as an example of patience in the face of suffering. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have Persevered, there's that word, instead of endured. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So Job was vindicated in the end and he got all his riches back twice over. He still only got 10 kids. I think probably 10 was enough, don't you? He didn't get 20 kids, but... Uh, so he was vindicated. Um... His, the goal was a deeper relationship with God for Job. Biblical endurance is about growing in grace and in the knowledge, knowledge and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the reading today, I picked out of that a couple of verses particularly to do with endurance. In Job 1.21, Job says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. He didn't sin. He didn't blame God. He didn't complain. Well, not really. Um, he trusted God. God gave me all these things and I, I was blessed. If God chooses to take them away, that's his prerogative. He's sovereign. He's Lord. I'll trust him. And then in 2.10, he says after he's been afflicted with boils from head to foot. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And in all this, Job did not sin in what he said. So Job, Job is so wise. You know, it's, I, I understand it's possibly the very first book that was ever written of the Bible. It's very early. And yet, if you read through the whole book, 
Job's understanding of God is amazing. I mean, he was the one that said, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and on the latter day he shall stand upon the earth, and in my flesh I shall see God. He understood that God was going to be resurrected, and so was he. You know, he, he, he knew a lot of stuff, did Job, and he was very careful not to sin. He knew that God is sovereign and was in control all the time. God limited Satan, didn't he? First of all, he said, don't touch him. And then he said, don't take his life. So Satan is powerful. He's probably a lot more powerful than you or me. But he isn't more powerful than God. And if we have got God, then he's not more powerful than us and God. So, Job clearly understood that a godly life didn't mean a trouble-free life. Anyone who comes preaching the gospel and says, come to Jesus and he'll solve all your problems, he's only giving half the story and it's a false gospel. God never promises the Christian a trouble-free life, but he does promise to accompany us and help us through our trials and troubles if we ask him to. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? When we know how to call on the name of the Lord in our troubles and our trials and troubles, wow, what a difference that makes. The whole point about endurance is that God is with you. Beside you and in you, you're not alone. He goes with you through whatever you're going through. And he feels for you, with you. He knows and understands how you feel because he's been there and done it himself on the cross. Tempted in every part, like as we are, yet without sin. You know, we, we all set great store by happiness, don't we, these days? We want to be happy. We want our kids to be happy. We want a trouble-free life. We want to be comfortable. We want things to be convenient. And we're very blessed in the West because a lot of the time it is so. Not always, but it is so a lot of the time. But, you know, the Bible never sets out happiness as a, as a goal, um, a valid goal for Christians. The Bible says that happiness is a byproduct of a godly life. Blessed, happy, to be envied are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, happy, to be envied are those who mourn for their sins, for they shall be comforted. Blessed, happy, to be envied are the meek, for they shall be inherit the earth. Blessed, happy, to be envied are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, right with godness, for they shall be filled. And so on. Blessed, Happy to be envied of the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted. Now, Job's problem was very like this. He and his friends thought that so long as they were good and godly and obeyed God's laws, everything would go well for them and they would be blessed. But if they were wicked and ungodly and sinned, then God would judge and punish them. Now, that's true up to a point. But the book of Job makes it clear that there's another factor 
in operation in all of our lives. And that is, there's a cosmic battle going on between God and Satan. We know that in the book of Job. Job doesn't know that. But we're told it right at the beginning. Satan comes when all the angels are presenting themselves before God. Satan, the fallen angel, also seems to still have access to God. And he, he's brash, isn't he? He just marches in as well. And so God's challenged, okay, Job, what, okay, Satan, what do you think about my servant Job? He's wonderful, isn't he? Upright and blameless, you know, fears God. Wonderful, isn't he a wonderful guy? Ah, oh, well, you know, you bless him so much. If you stop blessing him, he won't be so good, will he? He was wrong, wasn't he, Satan? He was wrong. But Job was really sorely tested. It went on a long time. But what does he do? He says, if only I could talk to God himself. If only there was a mediator. Who's our mediator? We've got one, haven't we? Jesus is our mediator. And you know, it's interesting, isn't it? At the end of the story, when God speaks... He never explains to Job why, but it doesn't matter anymore, because once God speaks, God, Job realizes what a great, big, awesome, sovereign God he is, and all his problems become minimal. They just fade away in the presence of the Lord. We need to be aware that the battle between God and Satan isn't a battle between two equals. Satan's a created being, created by God. God's sovereign, God's in control. He may be more powerful than man without God, but God is exponentially more powerful than him and exponentially bigger and stronger and mightier and better in every respect. Okay, so I wrote this so that I wouldn't take a lot of time doing it. Um, there's 40 plus chapters in Job. This is a summary and I've got a dozen lines, okay? Job is confident and adamant that he has not sinned. His friends are equally insistent that he must have sinned. Hence the long arguments that comprise the majority of the book of Job. These arguments reveal the bankruptcy of the traditional wisdom and theology of Job's time when faced with the exceptional case of Job's agony. Job's agony is caused not so much by his loss of everything and his pain, but the breakdown of his theological worldview. His understanding of God is too small, but he does have the wisdom to hold out for an audience with God himself. And finally, when all the arguments are exhausted, God reveals himself, and in all his vast omniscience, omnipotence, and omnipresence, Job's problems evaporates when he realizes the greatness of God. He repents of his ignorance and bows in an ever deeper level of worship and submission. Although God never answers Job's question why, his presence and sovereignty are more than enough. He vindicates Job who forgives his friends and prays for them and Satan's malicious accusations, accusations are, are silenced. Job is doubly blessed and receives seven more sons and three more daughters, living for a further 140 years to enjoy them. So what about the application? What's the point of this long story about a theological worldview of a very long time ago? Well, how does this story help us in our relationship to God 
and to endure through the inevitable trials and tribulations that come our way. The first thing I've learned is adversity, if endured and overcome through prayer and faith, increases our faith and draws us nearer to God. It improves our understanding of who God is and improves our relationship with God. I have frequently learnt more through the difficult times than the times of blessing. In times of blessing, the temptation is to become lax in our biblical disciplines and our relationship with God. But when things are tough, you really cry out to God, don't you? That's when you really press into God, because who else is going to help you? At the end of the day, we're all the same. And I'm really grateful for my friends. I went to our cell group a few weeks ago and said, please pray for me. I'm going through a bad time. Bless them, they gathered around and prayed for me. And it took a few days, but after a few days, a couple of weeks, God broke through for me. And I turned a corner and I've been a lot better since and I'm really grateful. Thank you. So, I'll come to that. So, the third thing about um, endurance, we can take courage from the many examples of those who've gone before us. As I pointed out in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses who have pressed through and made it. They've made it and they're cheering us on. Come on, you can make it too. Hang in there. It's worth it. It's worth it. There's no more pain in heaven, no more suffering, no more tears. We don't know a lot about heaven, but we do know that. It's worth it. Press on, however difficult it is. In times of trial and difficulty, we always have the opportunity to pray, even if it's only a prayer of desperation. And these are very powerful. Oh, God, help! It's one of the most powerful prayers you can pray. Oh, God, help! Help, God! Don't sulk or turn away from God. Run into him. He's always there and ready and willing to listen to us and help us. You see, I know about these things because I've been there, done them myself. They don't work. But running into God does. It frequently requires repentance from known sin and forgiveness of those who've hurt us if God seems distant and unattainable. If it feels like God's a long way away, ask yourself a few questions. Is there any known sin in my life? Because sin's a barrier between us and God. It's very simple. As soon as we confess it, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is so gracious, so abundant in his forgiveness and mercy. So if we can't, if God seems a long way away, first of all, ask yourself and ask the Lord to examine you. Have you sinned? Have I sinned, Lord? Have I offended you? Have I sinned? Job did. And he offered sacrifices for his children whenever they parted. Interesting. Um, and we do have to forgive in order to be forgiven. We pray that Lord's Prayer, don't we? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And the Bible clearly says that if we don't forgive others, God won't forgive us. So those are barriers to um, our relationship with God, and, and that's one way to get nearer to God. So prayer is one thing that we need to help us in times of trouble. 
The other thing of another thing is the Bible. Seek to hear God's voice and get comfort through the word of God if you've got access to it. Go to your favorite scriptures. I find my favorite scriptures yield more and more. It's much easier for me to find help and comfort from my favorite scriptures and the ones that have helped me before. So, you know, if you're having a, a dry time and the Bible's difficult, go to your favorite scriptures, the ones that helped you in pa the past. And, and if you don't know where to go, go and, go and talk to Richard and, and, and uh, he'll show you the Gideons. Clever, very clever um, list of useful scriptures in times of trouble. Yeah, somebody gave me a little booklet of those many years ago. Very useful. Um, but there are, I'm sure there'll be references online. Or maybe you can find a Gideon's Bible if you stay in a hotel or go to hospital or something. Anyway, I've already mentioned about going to my friends in my cell group and asking for prayer or go to your church leader. You'll love me for that, won't you, Paul? But, you know, it is a principle that they're there to care for our souls. So go and ask for help. Don't be too proud to ask for help. We all need it sometimes. And, you know, when we open up ourselves to one another, one another and ask for help, you'll find, I've found, that we cover one another in love when we make ourselves vulnerable, don't we? I've never been turned away when I've gone to Christians for prayer and help. We cover one another in love, accept one another, because we're all the same. We need to confess our weaknesses, to be covered by our brother's love, to be real and know our true identity. That's a song we used to sing. But you know, ultimately, the most effective support we can find is in a direct rhema word from God himself. That's what cut it for Job. He pressed through. He said, I want to talk to God. Come on, God. What's going on here? And I have found in my life that ultimately, when I press through into God and he speaks, you know, it's awesome. He might only say one or two words, but that settles it. He doesn't need to say a lot. But when God speaks, it's really satisfying and it meets the issue, whatever it is. In times of extremists, it can be very challenging to break through into that place. And it can come in multitudes of different ways and may have taken longer than we would prefer to get there. But ultimately, as Job discovered, when God speaks, that settles it. No further words are necessary. God's words come with love, comfort, healing, and restoration. Write them down somewhere where you won't lose them. They will continue to help and encourage you ever after. I've never forgotten God speaking in the back of the car, handing you notice and leave. Wow. Wow. Fantastic. I got, got involved in a great adventure after that because I was employed by God. He was a much better employer, much more fun. So how do we hear from God when we're struggling? When we're in, well, cry out in desperation. I've, I've not infrequently come to God in tears. But there has to come a time when we sit still and are quiet and listen. You've got to give him a chance to talk. 
You know, you might be pounding heaven. Oh, this is happening and this is happening and I can't cope with this and what am I going to do? There has to come a time when we just get quiet and listen. And then, maybe then God will speak. Frequently he does. Or I've shared with, or share with trusted people, I've mentioned that. You know, what is it? Men are from Mars and women are from Venus. Men go into their garden shed and, and find out by themselves. But ladies like to talk about things. And, you know, I've often found when I talk things out with someone, a trusted friend, that, that my answers come as I do that. Maybe it, it might happen for some men too, you never know. Um, you could try adding a bit of fasting to your prayers if you don't seem to be getting through. That's another enduring thing, but it, it work, pays dividends. Derek Prince said that life is like a, a relationship with God is like a pyramid. And the top little bit, you'll never get into it without fasting and praying. You might get so far with just prayers, but if you want a bit more, if you want to get into that top bit, you'll need to add some fasting to your praying. And then, of course, there are those wonderful times when words jump out of the Bible or some other book, or as I heard long ago, someone who was struggling over some decision or other, and they were just driving along, and a great big lorry drove past with the words on, emblazoned on the side in huge letters, take courage. <laughs> God speaks in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. So finally, as I was reading in Hebrews, I like Hebrews, Hebrews 12, with the great crowd of witnesses and Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. There's another couple of verses a bit later on, which are a bit more difficult, but very interesting. In Hebrews 12, 7, it says, endure hardship as discipline. Another of those words that are a bit difficult. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons, for what son is not disciplined by his father? And in Hebrews 12, 11, it says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Job in a nutshell. I read it and I thought, well, there you are. That's the book of Job. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. That's what it did for Job. That's what it'll do for you and me. So don't run away from endurance and discipline and perseverance and persistence. Hang in there. But ask your friends for help. Seek God for help. Get praying. Maybe fasting. Read your Bible. Do, do, do those things. God is faithful. He will not tempt you above what you're able to bear, but will, with the temptation, provide a way of escape. So let's give him all the glory and all the praise. Amen. Hallelujah. So as our service comes to a close, I'd like to encourage you to stay for tea, coffee and fellowship at the back. There is prayer ministry over on this side if you'd like to get prayer for anything, especially if you know something that's struck you this morning from Hillary's talk. Maybe it, you need endurance in a certain area to persevere, to push on through. Then please do go and get prayer from uh, people on this side. There's tea and coffee at the back.
or have a great uh, half term and we'll see you next Sunday. So the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit rest upon you and remain with you always. Amen. So go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. Amen.